Welcome to the Westminster Pulpit, an extension of the worship ministry at Westminster Presbyterian Church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format, and may this sermon nurture your life in a meaningful way as we proclaim our Savior. Well, it is a privilege to have Steve Brown with us tonight. Uh, Steve was uh, recently uh, hired, I guess it's not been a year yet, has it? Uh, not even a year last summer as uh, the pastor at Hope Church in Shippensburg, PCA Church in our presbytery. Uh, but uh, Steve is, is not a stranger here at Westminster. Uh, Steve grew up here uh, at Westminster and is one of the uh, sons of our church. Uh, and I was talking with Dr. Rogers uh, this past week. He reminded me we have eight, eight men that have uh, grown up in this church who are now uh, PCA pastors, uh, several of them in our, our presbytery. So maybe there can be a little award if anyone can come and name the eight pastors who grew up here at uh, Westminster. But I think Dr. Rogers will be the only one who can do it. We'll, we'll see. But uh, we're just thrilled to have uh, Steve, the son of Ken and Sue Brown, and so thankful that he's back in the area with his family and that he's here to bring God's word to us tonight. Thank you. It is a great delight and privilege to be with you. I was blessed to grow up here under the preaching ministry of Dr. Rogers, uh, youth ministry, and so many others who impacted me for the Lord. And so I'm very grateful to share God's word with you this evening. So please turn with me to Jonah chapter 2. That's on page 774 in the Pew Bibles. I'm picking up after the events of chapter 1. Jonah had been told to go and preach to Israel's enemy, the Ninevites. Uh, That was the capital of Assyria. However, rather than obeying God, Jonah, because he hated Assyria, he decided to run away. But God loved Jonah too much to allow him to flee from his presence. So God sent a storm, and Jonah eventually ended up being tossed overboard and swallowed by a great fish. We'll pick up at that point in the narrative as Jonah prays from the belly of the fish. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. At the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit O Lord, my God, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray and ask for his blessing on it. Our Father in heaven, we do thank you for the privilege of listening to your word. 
Please grant us ears to hear what you would have us learn from it. And speak to us tonight through your spirit. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever been in a threatening situation? I remember once up in Mount Gretna in Lebanon County, I was running with my brother and a high school cross-country teammate, and we thought we could get our run in before the storm. We thought wrongly. And I remember this is the worst storm I've ever been out in. You could feel the trees shaking all around you. It was getting really dark. It would flash, lightning would flash, and you could look behind you and think, "Are, are these guys still here with me? We're three miles from our car, no matter which way you went. It's a really terrifying experience in in many ways. Many of you probably have similar stories or even more harrowing ones, maybe being caught out in a riptide or living through a tornado or a hurricane. In times like these, we get at least a sense of what kind of distress Jonah must have been in in this moment. But these dire conditions aren't the only thing that threaten us. Sometimes you may feel emotionally or spiritually like you're not going to make it. Maybe after many sleepless nights with a newborn or prolonged singleness or another period of depression or discouragement that is just assailing you again. Also comes when we feel hemmed in by mountains of our own sin. And Jonah, too, encourages us in times such as that. It shows us that God always hears our cries for mercy. And therefore, we can and should cry out to him in our distress. Jonah teaches this above all by anticipating and looking forward to the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. So as we reflect on that together this evening, we'll look at it in two points. First, I want us to consider the dire condition we're in. And then second, let's look at God's salvation. So first, we see our dire condition reflected in Jonah's prayer. Now, even though Jonah recounts the horrors of this experience, this can really appropriately be classified as a prayer of thanksgiving. Jonah recounts the horrors of his circumstance in order to praise God for his salvation. Importantly, as this prayer begins, verse 1 says that Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God. So you see, right from the beginning, we see despite Jonah's unfaithfulness, God is remaining faithful to him. The covenant name, the Lord, is still used in this verse, and God is called Jonah's God. Now in verse 2, Jonah praises God while beginning to describe this awful situation. He says, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. So Sheol here refers to the grave. And so while Jonah hadn't actually literally died, he was so close to death that it seemed a foregone conclusion. And yet even at this point of death, God hears his prayer. Verses 3 to 6 continue poetically describing this distressing situation. And as they do, uh, verses 3 to 4 show us that God listens to us even despite our guilt. Uh, Jonah says in verse 3, For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas. Now, at that point, there's a little bit of self-awareness here for Jonah. 
the actually the sailors were the ones who had physically picked him up and thrown him into the sea. But at this point, Jonah is recognizing that all of this happened under God's sovereign hand. And as he continues in verse 3, he says, And the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. It's a terrifying situation. Terrifying situation Jonah finds himself in. But why was Jonah here? Remember, Jonah was here because he was running from God's presence. And yet look at what Jonah says in verse 4. He says, Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. It's a lot of irony in the Bible and in the book of Jonah. And this is really an ironic way of describing things. Jonah hadn't been driven out. He was running away from God. And yet now he's beginning to realize just how foolish this decision was. He's beginning to feel what it's like outside of the king's presence and the king's blessing. And this leaves Jonah longing again to look at God's holy temple. The temple in Jerusalem represented God's presence among his people. It's where God had said he would dwell with his people. Of course, Jonah had forfeited any right to the blessing of this presence, any right to a relationship with God. He directly disobeyed God's command, which also meant that Jonah had a great guilt. Remember what Jonah was told to do. He was told to go and preach to Nineveh. Nineveh needed to repent or else they were going to perish. Now, as we think about the guilt for Jonah, we could think of Ezekiel 33. Ezekiel 33 describes the prophets as watchmen, and it gives this warning. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet so that the people are not warned, and the sword comes and takes any one of them, that person is taken away in his iniquity. But his blood I will require at the watchman's hand. So if Nineveh didn't repent because Jonah didn't warn them, their blood was upon Jonah's head. He was guilty for not preaching. He had a great debt hanging over him here. And yet in verse 4, Jonah expresses confidence that he will look upon God's temple. This reminds us of God's extravagant grace. Someone as guilty as Jonah could express confidence that he would look on God's temp- at God's temple. And this reminds us even today that God's mercy is greater than all our sins. It's the beauty of God's love for us in Christ that covers even the greatest debt. So verses 3 to 4 here teach us that God hears us even despite our guilt. Verses 5 to 6 further add that he can rescue us no matter how desperate our condition is. So look at verse 5 and the first part of verse 6. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head. At the roots of the mountains I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. It's a terrifying description there. It can be frightening enough if you fall overboard into relatively calm waters. Imagine, I don't know, 20-foot waves. I don't know what kind of storm Jonah was experiencing. You have these waves crashing 
over you, and as you're plunging beneath the water, desperate to get some air, the seaweed is wrapping around your head as you go down. And that's what Jonah, the terror that Jonah is experiencing. Now, there's also a motif of of going down in the book of Jonah. So I invite you to just uh, look back into chapter 1. If you look at uh, chapter 1, verse 3, it says, But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. And then later in in verse 5 in chapter 1, it adds, Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship. And so this going down in the book of Jonah represents his descent further and further away from God's presence. And now as Jonah sinks further into the deep, Chapter 2, verse 6, repeats this, that he's going down, falling further and further away from God, seemingly hopelessly lost. This is further emphasized by the phrase, the roots of the mountains, which only occurs here in the Old Testament. Jonah is sinking down to the very bottom of the sea, to its lowest depths, all the way to the realm of the dead, as it were, as far away from God's presence as you might be able to imagine. In other words, his life is over. But even from such an impossible position, Jonah could cry out to God. He had run as far as humanly possible away, or so he thought, from God. He had sunk as low as possible, both physically and and really spiritually. He had sunk as low as possible, and yet he was never outside of God's reach, which teaches us that God can hear us no matter how desperate our condition is, no matter how desperate you feel your condition is, perhaps tonight. God can hear you. He does hear you. And all this is good news for us. It's good news because we are like Jonah. We're in a desperate condition, and we are guilty. We forfeited any natural right to a relationship with God. As Isaiah 59.2 says, Your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he does not hear. By nature, we are alienated and without hope. Likewise, we could say we're sinking down to the realm of the dead, as it were. The gates of hell are threatening to close upon us forever. They would close upon us forever, except for God's sovereign mercy in Jesus. And just as Jonah couldn't swim his way out of his predicament, so too we can't escape ours on our own. Now, I imagine many, maybe most, maybe even all of you agree with me, but let me say that if you're struggling with that concept of of God's wrath and judgment and our guilt, uh, we all know that this is true if we take an honest look at ourselves. After all, can you really examine your thoughts, words, deeds, your secret motives, and say you're not guilty? Can you then look at the perfect holiness of God and conclude that he must just be pleased with you the way you are? No matter what ethical standard we construct for ourselves, we all break that standard. 
We all do things we wish we didn't do. We're not the people we wish we were. And when we compare ourselves to God's perfect holiness, the only reasonable verdict we can give ourselves is guilty. We have to admit that God's judgment and sentence is just. We're born in sin, and we need a Savior. We need someone to pay the penalty for our sins, which thankfully has given to us in our Lord Jesus, as we will consider again later. But Jonah doesn't just describe our situation generally. This also paints a powerful picture of the particulars of our lives. Sometimes in your own life, troubles may seem to come at you in waves. All at once, we're surrounded by trials, temptations, sin, failing, circumstances that are painful. And we're discouraged, and we just don't think we can take it anymore. And sometimes you're at that point, and just when you, don't think it, when you think it couldn't get any worse, it feels like it does. And you just wonder, can I hang on any longer? As Jonah expresses in verse 4, you may even feel cast out of God's sight as if he doesn't see you. If you're a Christian, let me encourage you that that feeling isn't true. You always have an interest in Christ. You're never kicked out of God's family. You will yet look upon him, even as Jonah expressed that confidence. Of course, let me also add that these feelings of, of separation, of, of God feeling distance, distant from us, sometimes those arise from our circumstances. Other times they do come about because of our own sin. And someone who's living in rebellion to God's commands may feel like God isn't near to him or her. Maybe even someone here tonight doesn't feel that God is near to you because you're living in sin. And in those situations, that feeling of separation can be God's mercy. You see, Jonah was in the belly of the fish to draw him back to God, to move him closer to repentance and a restored relationship with God. And likewise, when we're running from God, he loves us so much that he will allow us to feel that gap. So if you don't feel near to God because of your sin, that's God's mercy to you. Hear him calling you back, calling you to repentance in Christ. The point we see in these opening verses is this. Jonah cried from the depths, and so can we. And this is true whether, like Jonah, we're crying out because of our own sins or whether we're in some other dire situation, perhaps your circumstances. And no matter the reason for our distress, we can cast our cares on God because he cares for us. If we belong to God through faith in Jesus, he is always with us. And he hears us even despite our guilt. And he hears and can rescue us no matter how desperate our condition is. So we've seen here our dire condition. A second, let's consider God's salvation in the beginning in the second half of verse 6. Again, it's a truly terrifying picture painted through the first half of verse 6. Sometimes I don't think we fully get that because we're used to maybe like a VBS, a uh, little whale swallowing someone. And by the way, I'm not suggest- suggesting we make uh, VBS terrifying for children. But uh, as we grow up, sometimes uh, we just think of this nice, warm, pleasant whale swallowing you. No, this was a terrifying situation. Uh, 
waves billowing, closing over Jonah, seaweed wrapped over his head. He probably didn't even see the fish. I called it a whale, I think. We don't know. It's a great fish uh, swallowing him. Uh, and then he wakes up in the, in the belly of a fish. It had to stink. It's an awful place to find yourself. And yet, all these terrible experiences were part of God's loving plan to bring Jonah back. And there's a shift here in the second half of verse 6 that begins to focus on God's salvation. Uh, Jonah had said, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. But now, he adds, yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. So you see that in the first half, Jonah goes down forever. And then in the second half, God raises him up. Now here, Jonah's using the word pit to represent the realm of the dead. Uh, Jonah had been sinking down, but, but God plucked him up out of this desperate situation and saved his life. And this, of course, looks forward to Jesus' work. Our sins deserve to have the bars of the gates of hell, their bars to close upon us forever. But Jesus has burst the gates of hell for us. Jesus did this by going down to the grave himself. But just as Jonah's life was brought up from the pit, so too was Jesus. And he rose triumphantly from the dead. And as he did, he defeated the power of sin and death. And therefore, he can promise, as he does in Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church, church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jonah's terrible experiences here were part of God's plan to bring him back. Likewise, Jesus' suffering was part of God's plan to bring us back, to restore our relationship so that we might ascend with Jesus to heaven rather than descend to hell. We're returning to Jonah 2. Jonah adds in verse 7, When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. As we saw in verse 4, uh, the temple represented God's presence, which was what Jonah had been fleeing from, trying to get away from. But even from the depths of the belly of the fish, he hadn't really escaped. As Psalm 139, verse 8 says, If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. This is still true today. There's nowhere you can go to hide from God. We can never run so far away that we have gotten away from his presence or, if you belong to him, from his love. And no matter how far you think you've gone, God can hear each desperate cry. Verses 8 to 9 continue praising God for this salvation And they reveal how God answers our prayer by producing faith in us. Now look at verses 8 to 9. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Jonah was rescued when he cried to God. Likewise, God saves us by his grace through faith that he works in us. Now, there's actually an ironic contrast here. 
who paid attention to idols? Well, Jonah perhaps was thinking about the Ninevites, or more recently in the narrative, perhaps he was thinking of the sailors in chapter 1. So what had the sailors done when the storm came upon them? They started crying out to their gods, and of course their gods didn't hear them because they're no gods at all. And yet, little did Jonah know that the sailors were now sacrificing to the Lord above the water and making vows to him. Meanwhile, it was actually Jonah who was the one who had been turning from God up until this point. In fact, throughout the book of Jonah, you often see the unbelievers responding appropriately when called to repent, and you see God's own prophet doing the wrong thing. So there's a lot of irony here. The NIV less literally translates this verse, those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. As we listen to it that way, uh, that translation helps us put it in question form to ourselves. And the question is this, are you forfeiting the grace that could be yours? If so, why are you forsaking your hope of steadfast love? Why do so when God's grace is so freely offered to you in Jesus Christ? So if you're not a Christian, that's the invitation to you. God invites you to know him through faith in Jesus. He promises to forgive your sins if you will look to Jesus in faith, if you will confess your sins and ask him to forgive you. So will you look to him tonight even? Will you look to Jesus in faith? Of course, as I mentioned in this book of Jonah, the unbelievers respond appropriately to God, and it's actually God's prophet who still needs to repent. And so if you're a Christian, ask yourself this question. Am I continuing to repent of my sins? Or have I begun to see God's mercy as something other people need? Other people are sinners. Other people really need to hear this message on repentance and, and Jesus who died for them. Or do you still see yourself as a great debtor to God's amazing grace? When verse 9, Jonah sides with those who will thank God and serve him, uh, he says that he will sacrifice and pay what he vows. And among those promises must have been vowing to go and preach to Nineveh as God had commanded him to do. But Jonah isn't bargaining with God here. He confesses that salvation belongs to the Lord. Jonah contributed nothing to his own salvation. It wasn't given to him because of his vows or his sacrifices. God's relentless pursuing love is what rescued him. And likewise, we're saved by God's grace alone today. His mercy that pursues lost sinners like us. Now, as Jonah confesses this, the fish vomits him back out onto the dry land. And it's interesting to observe in other parts of Scripture, when God is said to vomit something out of his mouth, that it represents divine judgment. So, for example, Leviticus 18 is speaking of the Israelites taking possession of the land And God warns Israel, you shall keep my statutes and my rules and do none of these abominations, lest the land vomit you out and you make it unclean as it vomited out the nation that was before you. Likewise, Revelation 3.16, Jesus warns, so because you are lukewarm, neither 
hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. What does this have to do with Jonah? Well, we can observe that there's no confession of sin here in Jonah's prayer. He thanks God for not forsaking him. Uh, He vows to obey God. But he doesn't admit that his attitude toward Nineveh is wrong. He hasn't, we could say he hasn't been transformed by God's grace in such a way that he's willing to forgive others. And we know that because of Jonah's response in chapter 4. When God actually has mercy on Nineveh, he goes and pouts. No, any, I have not met a pastor who would have a meeting and have hundreds or thousands of people come to faith in Christ and go away and pout. Never heard of such a thing. It's crazy. And yet that's what Jonah does. And, and so we see he still has a lot of maturing to do. And so Jonah is spewed out of the fish's mouth, perhaps partially as a symbolic warning. He's not all the way there yet. In many ways, he still remains an unwilling prophet. His vision of God's mercy needs to expand. And in this way, Jonah reminds me of of Mark chapter 8. And there's this blind man at Bethsaida who Jesus heals in in two stages. He touches this man and asks if he can see anything. And then the man says, I can see, but people look like trees walking. And then Jesus lays his hands on him and restores his sight fully. And in context, in Mark 8, it comes right before this healing in Mark 8, comes right before Peter confesses Jesus as the Christ. But after, immediately after confessing that Jesus is the Christ, Peter turns around and rebukes Jesus for saying he's going to have to die. You know, he kind of, he gets that Jesus is the Christ, but he doesn't totally get it yet. And Jonah is like that too. He sees partially, he's turned back to God, but he still has a lot of growing up left to do. And this is really often the way we grow spiritually. We believe, but we need help with our unbelief. We're thankful for God's mercy to us, we're not quite ready to forgive others yet. We're sorry, but if we're honest, we need forgiveness for our remaining unrepentance. Because kind of in the back of our mind, we're thinking, am I going to go back to that sin tomorrow? I haven't fully decided yet. Right? And so we, we grow in these, these stages as the Lord works in our lives. Of course, as we think of Jonah coming out of the fish, we're reminded about more than God's judgment. We're also reminded of how we can be saved from it. Jonah, like all of Scripture, is ultimately about Jesus. And in Matthew 12, Jesus draws the connection directly. Jesus is asked to give a sign, and he responds, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So Jonah's descent into the depths of the sea prefigures Jesus' descent into the depths of the earth for us. Jesus was nailed to a cross and cast lifeless into the tomb to save us from sin, to deliver us from death and bring us near to God. In Jesus, we, full, we see the full extent of God's amazing love for sinners. God pursues us even as far as becoming a man. God the Father loves us even enough to send his son to die in our place. Of course, as we think about Jesus and Jonah, there's a great difference in them as well, and especially in the way they fulfill their ministry. While Jonah fled further and further from God's presence in order to withhold mercy, 
Jesus was willingly cut off from God's presence to provide mercy for us. God sent Jonah, and Jonah ran. God the Father sent his Son, and he willingly came to seek and save us, to be cast off and cut off for our sins, for my sins, and for your sins. I don't know what each of you may be facing today, but this gives each of us strength and comfort and hope. Maybe that your circumstances are threatening to drown you, as it were, tempting you to doubt God's goodness for you. Wave after wave of perhaps trial, loneliness, pain, or, or doubt are sweeping over you right now. Or perhaps it's a stubborn sin is making God feel distant to you. Wherever you are, Jonah encourages you to cry out to God in your distress. God hears you because Jesus underwent the judgment that you deserve. And so let me ask you, have you trusted Jesus? Are you trusting Jesus tonight? Do you see the dire condition you are in? Will you cry out to him from the depths like Jonah, repenting of your sin? And we continue trusting in him throughout your life. If you will, be assured that God, of God's salvation in Jesus. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you. God hears his children's prayers, even when we're in the most desperate situation, even when we're in a mess of our own making. As we close, I'm reminded of a prayer from the Valley of Vision, a collection of Puritan prayers, and it has this line. It says, Hemmed in by mountains of sin, I behold your glory. And it goes on, Lord, in the daytime, stars can be seen from the deepest wells. And the deeper the wells, the brighter thy stars shine. Let me find thy light in my darkness, thy life in my death, thy joy in my sorrow, thy grave in my grace in my sin, thy riches in my poverty, thy glory in my valley. Sometimes we may feel hemmed in by our own sin, like Jonah And it all seems dark to us. But if you're weighed down by the darkness of sin, look up. Look up and see the light of Christ. It's my prayer for each of us, that when convicted by our own sin, we may see the even greater love of God, the the love of God that is far greater for us in Christ than any of our sins. And may each of us experience the healing power of Jesus' death and resurrection for us. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, if you should mark iniquities, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. We praise you for your salvation in Jesus. You rescued us by sending him to die for us, to descend to the grave, and then to rise again to lead us up. Thank you that in Jesus we are reconciled to you and made heirs of eternal life. We pray that you would cause us to fix our eyes on him in whatever trials or temptations or failings we are undergoing. Our God, we pray that the light of his love would shine brightly when hemmed in by the darkness of our own sin. And as we fix our eyes on him, please enable us to increasingly love and follow you in all things. We ask this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. The Westminster Pulpit is courtesy of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. You are welcome to worship with us on Sunday mornings at 8 or 11 a.m. 
To learn more or have questions about the gift of salvation through Christ Jesus our Savior, contact us at westpca.com. Thank you, and may Christ be glorified through this ministry, the Westminster Pulpit.